check, check, check. Palantir. 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 Lord of the Rings. Numenor. 9-11. Builder. <laughs> Bohemian Grove. <laughs> Palantir is powerful, kind of famous, kind of infamous. Yeah. The company makes data integration software and visualization software for tons of organizations, private companies and government agencies. Basically, any organization that has a lot of data and that values secrecy. People are obsessed with Palantir. You are. Don't try to call other people <laughs> out with you waltzing in, in here. But what I mean is, there are no casual fans of Palantir. It's one of those companies that you either don't know about or you have really strong opinions about. It has both super fans and super critics and detractors, right? Palantir has been called the world's best software. By CEO Alex Karp. By CEO Alex Karp, (laughs) that's correct. But um, it, it lends itself to hyperbole, this company, because its mission is so broad and it is one of the most secretive and understudied surveillance firms globally. It's been called the next Google of the digital revolution. It's been called the most important company in the West. It's been called the best AI stock to buy right now, which we'll get into later. It's been called an all-seeing eye. It definitely is like the biggest purveyor of your personal information. Palantir doesn't sell data though, let's make that clear. Palantir translates your raw data as an organization into recognizable language, into insights that they can take action on. You know how there's like software as a service company, SaaS companies. Palantir is not exactly that, but like if you wanted to draw a parallel, it would be basically like surveillance as a service. It sells software that helps its clients make sense of their data. That client could be the CIA, that client could be Bank of America, but both of those organizations have a ton of data and Palantir helps them make sense of it. It allows Mm. these organizations to integrate their data decisions and operations into one platform. So for intelligence agencies, we're talking about helping them track down enemies of the state. And then for banks, you know, we're talking about helping them identify fraud. And then for corporations, helping them become more profitable and then also spying on their employees, basically. Palantir can locate a terrorist, know whether he has gingivitis and know his last, you know, three transactions at the neighborhood corner store, right? (laughs) They know what's what's going on with your back molars better than your (laughs) dentist. Right. I mean, bottom line is whether you're a quote unquote terrorist or not, you leave your digital fingerprints on everything you do and your behavior is not private. Government agencies know what you're doing. Corporations know what you're doing. And this one company who is now working with most government agencies and aiming to work with all corporations is definitely aware of your movements as well. You even have corporate media kind of talking about how powerful this company is becoming. The Broken Clock at the New York Times published a piece asking the question, does Palantir see too much? This is a company that wants to know everything about everyone. Yes, you. I am including you, listener of this podcast. You don't need to be a terrorist for Palantir to want to know everything about you. So if you want to know everything about Palantir, keep listening. So the origin of Palantir goes all the way back to something called total information awareness. Palantir was born in May 2003. At the same exact time, the United States was shutting down its proposed TIA program, first renaming it Terrorism Information Awareness, and then eventually defunding it. So what is total information awareness? Yeah. This is a uh, program that the 
Pentagon's Office for Experimental Research has put together. They haven't started, so it's hard to know exactly how they're going to do it. But the plan is to try to get access to information that is in private hands in many cases, or in some cases in the government's hands. TIA aimed to fund the development of data mining technology to help analysts understand, predict, and even prevent future action. And the goal was essentially to track people collecting as much information as possible and then use both computer algorithms and human analysis to detect unwanted activity, right? Terrorism, crimes. Going to wikifeed.com. The TIA project called for the development of, quote, revolutionary technology for ultra-large all-source information repositories, which would contain information from many sources and create a, quote, virtual centralized database. Financial records, medical records, communication records, travel records, and existing intelligence data. Everything. This system was going to be under the direction of the Information Awareness Office, which is a branch of DARPA, which was then led by John Poindexter. Poindexter, most well known for being Reagan's national security advisor uh, during Iran-Contra. He was convicted of five felonies because of Iran-Contra. Even 2003, when there's all this fear-mongering about like terrorists coming to kill us because they hate our freedom. They hate our freedoms. Even then, at the height of the, you know, terror panic, TIA was still controversial and activists were denouncing it as a draconian system of surveillance because TIA was all about giving law enforcement access to private data without suspicion of wrongdoing and definitely without a warrant. Of course not. Who needs warrants? Come on. Uh, This type of information under the Total Information Awareness Program, as it's been described, would become available to government investigators, and it's through that data of the activities of Americans that the government would be looking. Obviously, we think there's some privacy concerns here. The problem with this particular program is it seems very open-ended, and it takes almost as the starting point the goal of being able to sift through a lot of the data on the activities of Americans. So uh, I think at this point, it would be a good idea probably to suspend its operation and look at it a little bit more closely. So 2003, there's bipartisan backlash against TIA. And then it obviously also wasn't helped by the fact that John was one of the architects of Iran-Contra too. So Congress eliminates funding for the TIA in 2003 and closes down the Information Awareness Office. By the way, side note about the Information Awareness Office, crazy logo. I guess it's not a pyramid cra- with... An With eyeball? the all-seeing eye on top, looking at the globe. It's, it's the same thing on our money, though. I know. They just stole it from the dollar they bill. They just stole. I mean, <laughs> it is crazy that it's on the dollar bill. And they stole it from the Masonics. Or... Right. Which you could argue is not a coincidence, but that is an episode for another Uh-oh. time. No, this is a technology podcast. <laughs> episode we, 20. We, we're going to keep, we're keeping the mission narrow. It's, it's a technology it's podcast. It's just 18th century technology, the Masons. <laughs> <laughs> like bricklaying. <laughs> Okay, so Congress eliminates funding for the TIA, closes down the Information Awareness Office. So, Mm -hmm. coincidence alert, the same time that the TIA was being shut down, Palantir is being born. Then Alex and Peter meet with John. Alex Karp and Peter Thiel, the two co-founders of Palantir. Here's a quote from New York Magazine. Poindexter was precisely the person Peter Thiel and Alex Karp, the co-founders of Palantir, wanted to meet. Their new company was similar in ambition to what Poindexter had tried to create at the Pentagon. The writer at New York Magazine also calls Poindexter in the same article the quote godfather of modern surveillance. So yeah, I guess Peter and Alex are like, well, we can take it from here. John refers them to InQtel, which we talked about a few times now, but it's the CIA's venture capital arm, you know, launched in 1999 at the peak of the dot-com boom. 
Uh, it's a nonprofit venture capital firm, but financial gain is secondary. The primary goal is investing in technology that helps the U.S. intelligence community, specifically yeah. the CIA. And they say we're not the venture capital arm of the CIA, but you totally are. So not only did it get that money from the CIA's venture capital firm in Qtel, but the CIA was Palantir's first paying client and its only client until 2008. And I guess we should talk about who these two people are. Oh, boy. Well, Peter Thiel, PayPal co-founder, he was an early investor into Facebook. He was the first outside check into Facebook. We discussed in the prior episode, he is your favorite MAGA billionaire who doesn't want you to know that he's gay and who was discovered to be gay in uh, 2007 by Gawker. And then what did he do? Shut down the entire website. Don't call me gay. He said he did this to protect people's privacy. But yeah, so Peter Thiel... He takes privacy very seriously. (laughs) Just his own, though. (laughs) Not not yours. Thiel definitely supported Republican candidates. He donated over a million dollars to Trump's 2016 campaign and even stumped for him at the Republican National Convention. But then on the other hand, you have Alex Karp, who supports Democratic candidates. By the way, I'm progressive, and I think the left is wrong to hate on us but he also was at a trump tower summit for tech ceos on the eve of trump's presidency um because he was invited to represent palantir so alex carp doesn't have a you know a tech background he studied philosophy and then apparently studied uh, under habermas in germany and, and did some really esoteric kind of social construction kind of philosophy. Jürgen Habermas, German philosopher and social theorist and, you know, king of critical theory, not the critical theory that Republicans are protesting, but (laughs) a, a critic of capitalism. He's associated with the Frankfurt School. Then there's people who say that he did not study under Habermas. He says that he did. Interesting, because if you look at the way the founders... Uh, Alex and Peter are portrayed in the media, it's very like, look, we have both sides of the political spectrum. Peter Thiel is to the right and Alex is to the left. Yeah, they're like the James Carville, Mary Matlin. What I love is like Alex Carp is like, I'm a socialist. I voted for Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so funny. Yeah. Because he and his company are one of the main apologists and drivers of Western imperialism. He even at one point said, like, we are a company for people who are on the side of the West. We are not everyone's cup of tea. We want people who want to be on the side of the West, making the West a better better societies, more able to defend themselves, and that's not for everyone. Also, here are countries where Palantir has subsidiaries, according to its latest annual report. If you don't want to hear the whole list, just skip 30 seconds ahead. United States, United Kingdom, Israel, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Sweden, Italy, Switzerland, Germany, Spain, France, Poland, Denmark, Norway, Mm. Singapore, Japan. Are you noticing a theme? South Mm. Korea, Taiwan, Mexico, Brazil, India, Austria, Lithuania. The common theme here is that these are U.S. allies, right? And like Palantir is supporting Ukraine, which we'll get into later. Um, Palantir explicitly says, or Carp rather, on behalf of Palantir says, like, we will not sell to Russia. We will not sell to Russian allies. Our products are used by European clandestine services. We're not going to sell to China. We're not going to sell to Russia. We're not going to sell to affiliate countries. We power 
European uh, clandestine efforts. Very much on the side of NATO, very much on the side of Western expansionism, and very much on the side of the U.S. And, and that's not yeah. a socialist position. Like, you can't make those two things work together. You can't. They, they can't be symbiotic. Right. I mean, everybody's like a socialist with a footnote <laughs> now. Yeah, he's so. like um, socialism with Western imperialism characteristics, I guess. So anyway... Um, Alex and Peter are both pretty eccentric people, but Alex Karp leads the investor relations stuff. He's constantly doing interviews on behalf of Palantir. I would even go as far as saying he's more eccentric than Peter Thiel. By the way, I'm progressive. Catch him in the morning uh, at a Paris park doing Tai Chi. Literally. <laughs> no, explain that because that's not a joke. Yeah, the New York Times piece opens up with talking about Pal Palantir CEO Alex Karp and how he was like practicing Tai Chi in the Luxembourg Gardens in Paris. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, last time I brought my sword, the police made me put it away. This is like a place where couples walk during their honeymoon and he's like brandishing a sword <laughs> in, in the middle of the park. And this guy is like, also, you know, behind a lot of police technology and predict where the criminals are. And it's like, you don't need an algorithm to tell you <laughs> that that's not safe for the public. I think this brings up a really important issue of our time, which is why do all men have a sword? <laughs> yeah. And Carp likes to brand himself as an eccentric. In the Denver offices, he has uh, just like a a regular old work business suit behind glass and it says break in case of emergency. The real Burton Ernie of Palantir. Literally, I mean, Alex Carp does kind of have uh, Ernie-esque hair. Yeah, it's it like definitely his style is a Muppet. He has like a mad scientist look to him. Yeah. Um, always like a, l a little bit disheveled. Anyway, um, my favorite thing that Carp ever said was, so like, like we mentioned, he calls himself a progressive. By the way, I'm progressive. He calls himself on the far left. And this is my absolute favorite quote by Alex Karp. I think he said this to the New York Times. I still can't believe I haven't been shot and pushed out a window. Oh my God. You're a racially amorphous, far left Jewish kid who's also dyslexic. Would you not come up with the idea that you're fucked? Who's the first person that's gonna get hung? You make a list and I'll show you who they get first. It's me. He's surprised he hasn't been killed because he's so far left and different. And it's like you're the CIA surveillance software company. He's like, you're... the far right's going to get me. He does have bodyguards who hold on to his non-alcoholic beer when he's done with his Tai Chi practice. So That sounds like it's a joke to your listener, but that is literally true. She is not joking. I'm not joking. Couldn't write something that good. <laughs> I think I'm the most accomplished Tai Chi practitioner in the Western business world. But yeah, like the Financial Times when they were writing about Palantir, like they are fucking roasting this guy through this article. Like a lot of six. At one point, the writer did like the double question mark. Editor's note, question mark, question mark. <laughs> when Alex Carp <laughs> said on an earnings call that the company had five of the most interesting, important, and crazy baller impactful <laughs> products in the Editor's note. Huh? Crazy baller. There's <laughs> no question mark question. That's just British people making fun of Americans speaking English. Really? We should. Baller. I express my solidarity with yeah. Alex Carp to throw in a baller where, wherever you need to. 
just a really interesting character, Alex. He claims to be so fearful of the quote-unquote far right. Mm -hmm. But if anyone's far right, it's his co-founder, Peter Thiel, who not only is a big Republican donor, but according to uh, one of Thiel's former classmates at Stanford, Thiel told her while they were at Stanford together that, quote, apartheid was a sound economic system working efficiently. That's why he got along so well with Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, I, that makes sense. But it doesn't make sense that he would get along with Carp if it is true that Carp believes himself to be far left and all that shit. Peter Thiel has tried to position himself, uh, like you've seen people like Donald Trump and Elon Musk also do, as this anti-establishment, anti-globalist person. There was a Washington Post profile that really tried to paint him in this way. Um, and it's just so funny because if you look at his contracts with the federal government, that makes no sense. But also he's literally on the steering committee at the Bilderberg Group. Thiel understands what made Trump successful in 2016, which is you need to pretend that you're anti-establishment because it gives you credibility as a thought leader so that you can then usher in your totally establishment-friendly policies. In the case of Donald Trump, I mean... What did he do that was anti-establishment? And then, of course, in the case of Peter Thiel, you see him working with all these government agencies. Literally, he, his company is an arm of the CIA and the NSA. But maybe but, he, ha he has a grand plot to, like, undo those oh, yeah, bureaucracies. The plans. Yeah. When's Trump's plan happening? I've been trusting for five years now. Where is it? But anyway, if you pretend you're anti-establishment, then maybe people aren't going to look at you with such scrutiny when you start collecting data on every American citizen and foreign citizen too. So once you have the perspective of understanding the Total Information Awareness Program, it does seem like Palantir was created to privatize this surveillance infrastructure to privatize the panopticon of the national security state, right? And it's actually funny because Alex Karp in the New York Times piece is pictured standing under a photo of Michel Foucault. Carp definitely knows who that is and chose to pose under it for the New York Times piece. And he also chose to have it in his office. Yeah, the chains are not on us. They are Alex Carp talking to you through a, a, a <laughs> Zoom meeting. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, he was basically like thinking I could use the backend software of PayPal to find terrorists, it, just like I could find fraud. Exactly. So Alex and Peter team up with old PayPal engineers and some Stanford grads, and they start by using the fraud recognition software from PayPal. But now, like you said, instead of just stopping credit card fraud, they say we're stopping terrorist attacks. And then InQtel comes in. InQtel gives Palantir three pilot programs. So not only was InQtel the first outside check into Palantir, $2 million of outside money, but more importantly, InQtel helped Palantir Palantir get its foot in the door of many other government clients like ICE, DHS, FBI, CDC, IRS. But it started with three. It started with three pilot programs that InQtel gave Palantir. Yeah, the, the InQtel gave us three pilots, one with uh, the FBI, one with the agency, and one with a more classified part of the DOD. So Alex and Peter decide to name the company after the indestructible ball of crystal in the Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, the Palantiri, which um, they're oh, basically- is like, it Palantiri? 
it, that's it plural it's an orb that mm-hmm. allows you to see into secret places in the first two books apparently it was used for good and then the final chapter was used for evil apparently this crystal ball in lord of the rings was used for communication it can see the past and the future i don't think the future oh it doesn't see into the future i thought it was like a crystal ball type thing yeah you would think since it's a crystal ball you could see in the past and the future and communicate with all kinds of ghosts all right let's look on reddit let's figure it out can the palantiri see into the future i read that it can see into the past and the future and it is used to track people both friends and foes i don't know what you used as a source but the lotr <laughs> community has been debating this so in the tv the show Read okay the, Reddit. the show is likely playing on the trope of crystal balls being used to see into the future the main function of the palantiri the seeing stones were to act as communication devices between different rulers and wardens within the realm of Dundane, first within the island kingdom of Numenor, and later through the territories of Arnor and Gondor. Using these stones, masters could telepathically talk to one another over great distances instantaneously. The user could see far-off locations as they are in the present. Saruman used the Orthonic Palantir to search for Sauron and the ring eventually becoming ensnared on Numenor. There were likely several more. The seven that we readers associate with in Middle Earth are actually the ones that Elendil took with him during the destruction of Numenor, which appears to be what's referenced in the G- Galadriel's vision. Secondly, the ruler of Numenor. Okay, we, we just simply cannot get bogged down with this. Okay, so Alex and Peter fund this company, and in the beginning, it has a very narrow mission, right? Find the terrorists. So the mission statement has obviously expanded since then. Um, Now they say, we're writing software that, quote, enables effective analysis against complicated data-driven problems. So that is not just for the CIA, right? That's quite vague and broad. That is a mission that speaks to pretty much any organization that has data. But it did start with a more narrow mission, which was to stop terrorism after 9-11. Palantir was literally pitched as a tool that could have identified and stopped the hijackers, right? And we're using the word terrorist here because this is the language that Palantir and its exposed people use. Yeah, a terrorist for the military is like... A 14-year-old boy. Yeah, like the whole concept of terrorism is extremely problematic, serves imperialism, and is not the vibe. But this is their language, right? So defense is a big part of what Palantir does. Palantir says that its software helps the U.S. Army leverage AI insights to make their decisions. And this started during the war on terror, the war on so-called terror. We could do it any way we want. We could do the so-called war on terror. The war on so-called terror? And we could also do the war so-called on terror, because mm-hmm. was it really on terror or was it with terror? The war on scary dreams. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm falling sometimes. Their whole business is built on crises. Alex Carpin, all his interviews are like, the world's going to get more dangerous and you're going to need more Palantir in your life. As the world becomes a more dangerous place, they'll be more profitable. And like the Financial Times recent article basically said that they're like monetizing the rot. When as things become more dangerous, as there's more pandemics, you'll need 
some way to manage this data and to solve these crises. Yeah, and it's like the crises of that time was terrorism. So let's talk about Palantir and terrorism, right? The Marines used Palantir in Afghanistan for forensic analysis of roadside bombs and predicting insurgents attacks. And as I mentioned earlier, yeah, this started as a free program. They were just kind of like testing technology that would be comparable to something the army already had like just a database of where you could find enemies and palantir sent software experts that were embedded with the troops and um every time they went to a new village they were the ones tasked with finding out the wi-fi password but no (laughs) they were actually um improving the software as they went along and they were called four deployed engineers Here's a quote from the Washington Post. Service members deployed in Afghanistan grew impressed with Palantir's ability to quickly assimilate troves of data into maps and charts showing the movements, for example, of insurgents across a landscape and the likely positions of improvised explosive devices. Several top Pentagon officials saw Palantir's platform as more powerful and reliable than competing tools supplied by longtime government contractors such as Raytheon. So it's like... Military technology for the new age. It's not enough to just have bullets and drones anymore. Now you need software. Yeah, it's like the army kind of already had the capabilities to have this software, but uh, Palantir made it more sleek and made it more user-friendly so like they could easily pick up the Palantir software and see like, oh, the maps look so clear and it was different than military technology. And that's why it kind of caught on in the military. So Palantir is most well-known for its intelligence and defense clients like the CIA, like the DOD, NSA, FBI. It also serves other government agencies like the FDA, the CDC, the SEC. And what does Palantir want to do? Well, we know from Palantir's registration statement with the SEC, its aim was to, quote, become the default operating system for data across the U.S. government. Yeah, I mean, they even have, like, the Department of Agriculture. They they even yeah. have inroads there. They're, like, tracking animal outbreaks, if there's a disease, animal health surveillance, like... They have their fingers in every little pie that you can imagine in the government. Totally. And they were really successful in getting those early government contracts for a number of reasons. The U.S. government has, I mean, it's an archaic organization, right? Our nukes are run with floppy disks, (laughs) guys. Just letting you know. (laughs) Literally, though, like there's a lot of legacy software in the government and these IT systems, some of them go all the way back to the fucking 70s. But Palantir understood this and Palantir made sure that its software would integrate with existing IT products so they can look the government in the eyes and say, hey, don't worry, you can maintain your key infrastructure investments And we're just going to come here and enhance what you do. And if you compare that to like, for example, Snowflake, which is I think like a comparable software company, they come into an organization and they basically tell the organization, hey, your historic data, your infrastructure, it's no good. And, you know, for some corporations, that's fine. But for something like the U.S. government, it's not ideal, right? So it was a really powerful sell for Palantir to be able to walk in and be like, you don't have to rip everything out. We're here to just enhance your operations. So Palantir you know, was really successful in selling its software to the public sector. Um, But not only selling the software, like it's not a pure SaaS company, but they also would become consultants. And technically, it's not a consulting company. But because you're you need to help the government people, often very not technical people with the implementation, 
um, they kind of effectively became consultants. And even though Palantir is a data company, um, it is not totally an AI company. Like they they are very heavily into quote unquote AI. In fact, Palantir CEO Alex Karp said that on AI, quote, we're going to take the whole market because in the commercial context, AI is new. Everyone's talking about these chatbots and blah, blah, blah. But in the military context, AI has been around and Palantir has been at the fucking forefront of that. But Palantir is not just AI, right? What they do is they augment the human analysis with all of these insights that come from the data in the organization. Yeah. So as we mentioned, Palantir got its start identifying enemies and terrorists and, you know, mapping IEDs in Afghanistan. But that was really beneficial to them because they used that as a laboratory to kind of fix their software. And then they tried to use the same software to identify criminals and help police departments in the U.S. By the way, I'm progressive. They're basically using the same technology on terrorists that they are on the U.S. population. But they say protecting privacy and civil liberties are a core engineering commitment and with no irony say that they have civil liberties engineers. In 2018, it broke that New Orleans PD was using Palantir software kind of secretly. New Orleans and Louisiana were very popular places for kind of neoliberal experiments. After Hurricane Katrina, Mm. they became like a breeding ground for charter schools, for new kinds of housing policy, just to see if it would work on this population because, you know, it's very, it's a very poor population. There's a lot of crime. So Palantir offered their software for free. Why would they do that? Because they need to figure out how it's going to work so they can sell it to other police departments. The prediction model in New Orleans that they were using was called social network analysis. It would draw connections between people and their locations, their cars, their weapons, addresses, social media posts, and other indications. And Mary Matlin said of the program, she lauded it and said, unless you're the cousin of some drug dealer that went bad you're gonna be okay but like what if your cousin is a drug dealer that is like the classic if you're not doing anything wrong you don't have anything to hide or if if you don't have anything to hide you don't have to worry what is it if you're not doing anything wrong if you're doing nothing if (laughs) if you have nothing to hide i think just make it up make up your own saying This is the classic nothing to hide argument that you as an individual have no reason to fear or oppose or organize against government surveillance programs or corporations enabling surveillance programs unless you yourself are a terrorist or a criminal. But, you know, in a free society, privacy should be the default, number one. And number two, wanting privacy is not equivalent to having something to hide because you could want privacy for other reasons. You could want privacy because you don't want your behavior to be influenced by entities with all the data on all of our lives who can then get a bird's eye view on society and mold and shape it to its machinations. Yeah. And usually they were using it for like a pretrial detention. You know, can we release this person? Are they likely to commit a crime if we release them? And it turns out the algorithm would always say the black guy is more likely to commit the crime. And it was just turns out the algorithm was racist or maybe the input, the data was racist. The thing about algorithms, right, is that they don't just exist on their own. They're made by people and they're only as good as the information provided to them. You know, when we say the quote unquote data is racist, obviously we don't mean the data is racist. I mean the data is racist. (laughs) If you have over-policing of black and brown neighborhoods, the data is going to tell you to keep monitoring those places. It's just the algorithm is going to 
intensify and amplify any kind of inequalities that are within the existing system. Yeah. So in 2018, the LAPD was forced to release documents about the predictive policing system and all these algorithms um, because of a lawsuit by Stop LAPD Spying Coalition. They found evidence that policing algorithms are continuing to propagate a vicious cycle of disproportionately high arrests of racial minorities. This predictive policing movement and the war on terror phenomenon are very much the same because terrorism's whole thing, right, is it's unpredictable. It's not just governments coming in to invade us or maybe attack our capital. Now it could be anyone, anywhere with a pipe Mm. and it could happen at a school or a playground. So now that we have this huge unpredictability program, problem we create the solution which is predictive policing and the war on terror was also very much about data analytics right too it was about gathering information on anyone anywhere who could be associated with anyone even if it was Mm -hmm. like a 10 times removed right so after 9-11 right you saw the department of homeland security giving a lot of local and state police um, billions of dollars in grants and a lot of this money was spent on developing data infrastructure so it's obviously very vague and broad and the vaguer and the broader the more opportunities that the state has to collecting on all of us and sweep people up and yeah and all the 5,000 detainees that were swept up after the war on terrorists potential terrorists none of them had any leads to any terrorist group they did find some immigration violations but that's it Palantir also works with ICE, right? ICE uses Palantir software to help track undocumented immigrants. By the way, I'm progressive. So this starts in 2014 when Palantir wins a contract to build an investigative case management or ICM system. The ICM system basically lets ICE agents get digital profiles of people who are suspected of violating immigration laws and organize all the records about them in one place. Emails, their phone records, their text messages. Um, you have data from license plate cameras. It's, it's data from all these different systems and all in one place. The, the work with the DHS and with ICE is what got a little bit of extra scrutiny on Palantir mm-hmm. during the Trump administration, stops separating children from their family stuff. ICE agents relied on Palantir's ICM system during a 2017 operation that targeted families of migrant children. As part of the mission, ICE agents were instructed to use ICM to document any interaction they had with unaccompanied children trying to cross the border. And then if the agency determined that parents or other family members or whoever were like helping smuggle them across the border those family members could be arrested and then prosecuted for deportation you know there was an infamous raid in 2019 on a workplace of migrant workers uh, 680 migrant workers in mississippi in 2019 and this was also carried out by the unit of ice that uses palantir software yeah so a lot of leftists were protesting palantir under the trump administration then you also even had some employees Uh, Some employees couldn't get behind working with ICE to help deport immigrants and confronted CARP. Hey, socialists, don't you care about this? (laughs) Yeah, you'd think. Um, More than 200 employees signed a letter to CARP. You had protesters from civil rights groups gathering outside Palantir's Manhattan office in 2019 to call for an end to the company's work with ICE. But again, CARP did not give a fuck. He likes to say that he's very ideologically aligned with every one of the government's interest he's like yes i believe in a rigorous immigration law i think it should be fair but he's yeah, just and coincidentally gonna my company <laughs> even is though, gonna feel that yeah yeah even though our immigration laws are a mess yeah and then also you know we should note uh this didn't stop when trump left office right just like trump deported more people than obama deported biden is now deporting more people than trump deported the biden administration in january of 2022 
expelled 443 Haitian asylum seekers and sent them on flights back to Haiti, even like on literally the anniversary of the earthquake. Yeah, that, like, it was killed all those a blip people. in the news. You can't get fired up about joe biden doing anything the biden administration also ramped up deportations via the trump era title 42 expulsions as well as the expedited removal law which dates back to 1996 and was expanded under trump yeah but he didn't call haiti a shithole country right how much do we really care biden also has that quote-unquote remain in mexico policy which used to be called migrant protection protocols that was instituted under Trump. This is a policy that is like literally in violation of international law. It forces people seeking asylum in the U.S. at the southwestern borders to stay in Mexico while their cases are being processed. And it's led to thousands of migrants just stranded in Mexico. But anyway, this is how democracy works, right? In In America, America. yes. Jinx. It's like same policies, but then it's just dressed up in different language. So Trump is like, you guys are shithole people. And Biden's like, we care about you, but they're doing the same thing. Exactly. It's like the same way that like, okay, Peter Thiel is Republican and Alex Karp is a Democrat. And like Trump is a Republican and Biden is a Democrat. But Peter and Thiel and Alex Karp, they're heading up the same company, literally doing the same thing. It's all fake. You heard it here. (laughs) Cargo cult. It's all fake. So, yeah, Palantir is supplying software to the Ukrainian armed forces. Palantir is providing the Ukrainian army with the ability to do real-time tracking of the development of the war. That software is also helping the Ukrainian military literally target Russian tanks and artillery, according to the Palantir's Yeah, as a Geneva Conventions violator. I mean, violation (laughs) detector. Yeah. And uh, then they're also helping with the reconstruction. They're offering a variety of services to the Ukraine. And Alex Karp was the first tech CEO to visit Kiev after the invasion. And I want to read from a Washington Post opinion piece that was written in December 2022 because I think it paints a good picture. Two Ukrainian military officers peer at a laptop computer operated by a Ukrainian technician using software provided by an American technology company, Palantir. On the screen are detailed digital maps of the battlefield at Bakhmut in eastern Ukraine, overlaid with other targeting intelligence. As we lean closer, we can see jagged trenches on the Bakhmut front, where Russian and Ukrainian forces are separated by a few hundred yards in one of the bloodiest battles of the war. A click of the computer mouse displays thermal images of Russian and Ukrainian artillery fire. Another click shows a Russian tank marked with a Z, seen through a picket fence, an image uploaded by a Ukrainian spy on the ground. The Ukrainian officers could use a targeting program to select a missile, artillery piece, or armed drone to attack the Russian positions displayed on the screen. Then drones could confirm the strike, and a damage assessment would be fed back into the system. Using a digital model of the battlefield, commanders can penetrate the notorious, quote, fog of war, and by applying artificial intelligence to sensor data, NATO advisors outside Ukraine can quickly answer the essential questions of combat. Where are allied forces? Where is the enemy? Which weapons will be the most effective against enemy positions? And then they can deliver precise enemy location information to the Ukrainian commanders in the field. As soon as we come up with computer algorithms, the military is like, how do we use this in war? Yeah, exactly. And I think there's always been a predilection for kind of crunching numbers and using some sort of system to analyze the world. If we just analyze enough data, if victory we analyze is it, promised. Yeah, yeah, if we totally. have enough Harvard grads analyze this data, victory is ours. Yeah, my favorite 
quote from Carp is, the power of advanced algorithmic warfare is now so great that it equates to having tactical nuclear weapons against mm-hmm. an adversary with only conventional ones. I don't think that's too ridiculous, honestly, because it used to be all about which country had the bigger GDP, which country could spend more on military, right? And that would basically be the way that you could see who would win a war. Now, because of the exponential power of this kind of technology, because of the exponential nature of quote-unquote AI, what you'd think would be a kind of David versus Goliath dynamic between Russia and Ukraine has kind of been undone. This gets painted in the corporate press all the time as Russia versus Ukraine, but it's really Russia versus NATO. With Ukrainian bodies. Yes. Taking the brunt of it. So yeah, like obviously it sounds funny to compare anything to nukes, but no one's using nukes, but people are using this. Yeah. So I think it's important to point out that like, Everybody in the military has like a hard on for this Ukraine war. They're like, we get to play with our new toys. This is the most modern warfare that we're going to see. And we're going to be able to develop these tools. So again, Palantir is interested in using Ukraine as a laboratory. Well, in the Ukraine war, we've learned a lot about what you would need to fight in Europe, which, by the way, no one understood until now. It's a complete fighting in the desert, fighting in Europe, fighting against Russia, fighting against you know, uh, smaller, less effective, more terrorist organizations, completely different thing. The most fun tool that they're using is the artificial intelligence platform for defense. And Palantir says that they're using chat GPT out in the battlefield, which is basically, okay, they're allowing soldiers to kind of ask questions and the machine will spit out information. But as we know, ChatGPT is like horribly incorrect sometimes and has a tendency to produce what people call hallucinations. And so they say our chat is not going to produce hallucinations because we're using only the data within the system mm, and your personal data. Not just data. the whole internet. So AIP is a language model integration system that leverages large language models like OpenAI's GPT-4, which we know and love, or Google's BERT to analyze and parse both classified and non-classified data. So we're working with commercial data too, you know, in addition to all the satellite imaging and all the stuff that the intelligence agencies have. So let's listen to a demo where a military operator who was tasked with monitoring the Eastern Europe theater discovered enemy forces massing near the border. We start with a military operator responsible for monitoring activity within Eastern Europe. They've just received an alert that military equipment is amassed in a field 30 kilometers from friendly forces. AIP leverages large language models to allow operators to quickly ask questions. Show me more details. What enemy military unit is in the region? Task new imagery for this location at a resolution of one meter or higher. Task the MQ-9 to capture video of this location. You could be like, so how do I kill this target? And (laughs) it would give you suggestions on how you could strike, like what would be the best? Would it be a drone or a missile or something like that? What's interesting here is like, the chat GPT is not really doing much. Like you could just have a kind of wiki of an alert, click on different things. But now that But I like, guess it's easier it's, to just tell the chatbot to do it. Like, hey, zoom in. 
Yeah. Palantir is not just supplying Ukraine's military with software. It's also involved in the court system. So in April of 2023, Ukraine announced that it would deploy the company's software to help prosecute alleged war crimes committed by Russia. Just like it helps the military, it's now going to help the investigators access otherwise siloed data. Yeah. It's basically they're using the same maps of where the Russians are. Right. This really speaks to how uh, Palantir as a company is an appendage of the CIA. It is not a neutral company. Like Palantir clearly supports Ukraine, whether that's just like whether that's a morally good idea or not. It's clearly not uh, impartial. And this is something that, you know, Alex Karp has said many times in many different ways in many different interviews. My fundamental view of what Palantir should be is an instrument, a technical digital software instrument, which is, again, what we, I think, are the best at in America, that, that strengthens institutions, both commercial and economic and political, in Western countries. Yeah, they're not going to be paying attention to the Ukrainian war crimes, of course, like when they no. shoot at prisoners of war. <laughs> they're like, we get it. You, you guys are angry. So, okay, so it's working with the military. It's working with the courts. And Palantir is also working on rebuilding Ukraine. Whenever that's going to happen, because... Yeah. We're not sure this war is ever going to end. Right. Well, there's a lot of financial incentive to kind of keep the war going. A lot of money being made. As right. War. So in May of 2023, Palantir and Ukraine's Ministry of Digital Transformation announced a partnership that would help enable the company's technology to support the defense and reconstruction of the country. This collaboration aims to coordinate, one, enhancing the digital capabilities for electronic public services. Two, supporting and coordinating a digitally-led reconstruction of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Three, consolidating the efforts in in the field of digitalization, digital innovations, and integration of Ukraine on the international market. So they're trying to make Ukraine this, like, new tech hub. They have, like, their fingers in every pie in Ukraine because, of course, it's going to be a gold rush for reconstruction. Yeah. Just like it was in Iraq. It's payday for these contractors. And it's also payday for Palantir because Palantir is now a really hot stock. Palantir has grown its commercial side of the business, which launched the company into profitability. And even though they don't like publicly release deal details, there's like a group of people online who are obsessed with Palantir as a stock. Mm -hmm. so they're constantly just like getting in the nitty gritty they're constantly just trying to find out like what deals palantir has going on for it all righty guys it's about that time we're gonna do a palantir stock update here as the markets are closed right now it's about 11 45 a.m on july 4th hope you guys are having great out there happy independence day is palantir still a buy right now or what i consider it to be a hold, or what i consider selling shares right now Palantir ran up 140% year to date. Hey everyone, it's Zach with Palantir Research. This is a quick one, but Palantir, P-L-T-R. We're at a critical junction in Palantir's journey. All right, so as some of you may know, I've been trying to keep an updated list of Palantir's commercial clients. And there's been a number of updates since I last showed this on my YouTube channel. So like we know Palantir is working with banks. So Bank of America, Citi, JP Morgan, Royal Bank of Canada even. Energy clients include ExxonMobil and and British Petroleum, BP, pharma companies like Sanofi, AbbVie, Novartis, and everything in between. You got Airbus, you got John Deere, you got... An- I am recording. I can't talk at the moment. Decline. What was I saying? I don't oh, know. Look, lots who of didn't have their phone on silent. Sorry, sorry. Clients include BMW, AT&T, Cognizant, Anheuser-Busch, like all of these companies, News Corp, CVS, like all these companies 
are huge companies, right? So they're getting to the market with these big corporations, but they want to eventually be like almost like the Google for every other corporation. On any normal earnings call where we have just been profitable and where we're going to be profitable for the next quarter, next couple quarters, which opens up the possibility beyond the S&P, where the U.S. market grew by uh, 28% and where we made $187 million in free cash flow, that would be the thing that was the most exciting. But in fact, what's most exciting about Palantir is we have our ability to launch products that are literally in the only products on the market and that will in fact change your life and will determine who succeeds and who fails across enterprise, uh, both government and commercial. The, the large language model revolution is one that will raise ships and sink ships. Can you help us disrupt our adversaries? Can you just help us disrupt our competitors? Can, for me personally, can you have a product that will help the West win, especially our government, but also our, our uh, uh, commercial clients, so that we, in fact, are stronger than our adversaries? A technology that will allow you to outproduce, change the margin of your company, understand your business, uh, react on the battlefield quicker, predict things on the battlefield in a way, collapse your enterprise so that the top and the bottom actually work together preempt attacks, create uh, 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 software that is uh, so obviously dominant that adversaries quiver and uh, uh, scurry away instead of attacking us or our, uh, or our allies. And there's one company in the world that is positioned. The, the issue of how do you have security, uh, uh, a data model or knowledge and wisdom that's proprietary interact with an external uh, um, uh, large language model or with uh, generative AI is not new to Palantir. And that's why we're able to launch our platform AIP so quickly. And we have the resources both because of our profitability, our $2.9 billion in the bank, our uh, lack of debt, and quite frankly, our entrepreneurial founder-led uh, spirit at this company. Uh, welcome to our, 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 our earnings day. Thank you. This is what a lot of people are getting hyped for with the stock. Palantir is all about the AI. They're saying this is like the Oppenheimer moment, the moment that nuclear power was discovered. This is the same kind of hinge point yeah. in history. Artificial intelligence is this weapon that's going to change everything. Carp and Palantir, they are the biggest doomsayers when it comes to AI. They're like, yeah. this, this is... This technology, like you said earlier, it's it's more lethal than nuclear weapons. Yeah, which is and it just makes sense because they're salesmen for the Palantir software. So they're like, oh my god, the United States needs to be so afraid of what Russia and China could do with AI once they start investing, like we've been investing. So you got to make sure we keep that investment up. By the way, by investment we mean giving us money. Now Russia and to some extent China are going to start investing in the right thing. And that's why we in the West need to really be focused on, yes, we had this advantage, but that advantage won't stay around if we don't invest, 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 invest in these kind of capabilities. Okay. He's like, yeah, the United States really has to make sure it keeps up its investment into these emerging AI technologies. And like what that means is he wants money to go from the U.S. to Palantir. I mean, this is like a tried and true thing of these military and intelligence contractors, right? The best mm -hmm. marketing strategy is and always will be fear-mongering. And mm -hmm. so if you constantly hype up the threat of adversarial countries to the U.S., 
using AI for bad. Yeah. And it just happens to coincidentally result in more contracts to Palantir to use AI for quote unquote good. And so be it. You know, this isn't financial advice, but because of the deep relationship that Palantir has with the CIA, FBI, NSA, CDC, IRS, Marine Corp, Air Force, Military Command, all this bullshit, it probably is a good stock to buy. Because this is not financial advice at all. And it's not we are not to be held liable for whatever purchases you make that said if i didn't have moral objections to it and also if i knew how to buy a stock (laughs) i probably would buy palantir because the u.s military industrial complex is so fucking lucrative the contracts are so sticky that they will probably keep palantir fat and happy for generations to come um there was a book that came out recently called the big con how the consulting industry weakens our businesses and fantasizes our governments and warps our economies. This book kind of points out how a lot of government agencies are like hollowed out when you outsource all this data management to a company. That means that that bureau of government no longer knows how to deal with it. I think people are aware of that on Capitol Hill. People are aware that Deloitte, Deloitte is a PowerPoint making machine and Alex Karp likes to say that he's not a consultant. He doesn't do PowerPoints against PowerPoints. Palantir likes to sell itself as data analysis and data management, but they're also providing and moving towards these predictive kind of technologies. And every time they say AI, it means you're you're outsourcing a decision to them. And And this is something that, tech billionaires love to do is like treat and talk about technology and promote technology like it is the silver bullet to all problems large and small and this coincidentally benefits them financially but in an even more insidious fashion it's incompatible with what you would imagine a democracy's decision making Mm -hmm. process to look like yeah because the mayor (laughs) removes the homeless from the streets and he's like the algorithm made me do it yeah i i had no choice to me, it's like technology and all of these exponential technologies. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I, I always have the same couple talking points. Technology will exacerbate what an organization's already doing. It is not a silver bullet and it's also not the devil. It's like salt. Salt will enhance the existing flavor of your food. And if your food is racist. Now you're even more. Exactly. What's the existing flavor of the U.S. military? Cracker barrel. It's killing civilians. <laughs> and and pro- putting profit over human lives. What's the existing flavor of police in America? <laughs> the flavor is brutality. And then also too much salt is a thing. And that can become really disgusting. People will be like, you know, don't blame the technology, which is true. We shouldn't blame the technology entirely, but it also is true that it is making things worse. And so to me, it's like with Palantir, okay, the microscopic brain read is that like, This is a private company and they're not helping the CIA spy on us. The tiny brain read is that the ruling class, whether through companies like Palantir or the government, needs to spy on us to kill bad guys. And that's what they're doing. So be grateful. Wave the American freedom flag and don't think about it because if you're not a terrorist, you have nothing to worry about. The midbrain read is that the ruling class needs to spy on us to kill bad guys, but there should be protections in place so that everyone else, the good citizens, don't Mm -hmm. get caught up in this dragnet. And then the big brain read is that this isn't and never was about stopping terrorism. 
The CIA sees data mining and surveillance as a way of maintaining control over the people of the world, as a way of stopping societies from developing into socialist economies, as a way of stopping activists at home from organizing against the ruling class, as a way of making sure that the people in office are the people they want in office. And the galaxy brain read is yes and, yes to the big brain read, and that terrorism itself is mostly fake and the ruling class literally invented it in order to pursue a technocratic agenda of controlling the masses. Palantir may have distanced itself from the image of a surveillance firm that assists in tracking people like American workers and immigrants, but that is literally what it does. And Palantir did 9-11. <laughs> The U.S. government uh, has our software and, and uses it uh, very aggressively. Military eye will determine our lives, the lives of your kid. This is a zero-sum thing. The country with the most important AI, most powerful AI, will determine the rules. That country should be either us or a Western country. We're very expensive. We expect you to pay us a lot of money. <laughs> invest, 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 invest in these kind of capabilities, not just pure hardware capabilities, and pay us a lot of money. Okay. All right, I think we're out of time, so thank you very much, Alex, for a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much.